Welcome to the DEI Discussions podcast series. This is the Women of Fintech chapter and we are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire financial technology industry. Today we are joined by Kushbu Patel, leading culture, colleague engagement, diversity, inclusion and well-being for Metro Bank. She is here to share how she walks the talk for inclusion in our sector and what more she wants done. Kushbu, welcome. It is great to have you here. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much, Nadia. So let's start. What is your role at Metro Bank? So I'm the head of engagement and inclusion at Metro Bank. Everything that you've just said, so I cover everything to do with our amazing culture, colleague engagement, well-being, diversity, inclusion. Bit of a mouthful with it all, but it all interlinks together. <laughs> Yes, it sure does. And and tell us a bit more, like what makes Metro Bank a great place to work? Ah, oh, so many things. So some of the basics, we're such a progressive organisation. We're dog friendly. That one definitely has my heart. But truly, for me, it's the culture. We put our people at the heart of everything we do. And we really do it. We do it authentically. And um, we actually do what we set out to do. Not just have strategies with bold words and big headlines that's sitting on a virtual shelf somewhere gathering dust. We actually really dig deep, creating workplace for our colleagues that's inclusive and puts well-being right at the forefront. So you're not going to be surprised when I'm going to plug in that we're a certified most loved workplace. Oh, and congratulations on that. You're yeah. definitely walking the talk for the drive there. Tell us a bit more about how important championing inclusion in the workplace is. Oh, it's absolutely vital and I can't emphasise that enough. There's three core aspects, I think, of the importance and I'm going to work my way up to what's most important. So first of all, as an employee, you have to be inclusive. And when I say you have to be, it's the law. So the Equality Act means an employer has to show that it's taken all the reasonable steps to prevent any employee committing a particular discriminatory act, right? So that's the bare minimum. Then you've got the hard data. So you've got categorical evidence that a diverse workforce and an inclusive culture is a better thing. So you've got tangible results here, things like you get better results as an organisation, more profits, greater innovation, all the stuff a business should want. So really, why would you not want those things? Because if you don't, you're making poor business decisions. So you've got the legal case, you've got the business case, but actually the top reason, better than all of that, is very simply, it's the right thing to do. We all deserve to be in a world where our differences are accepted and not just accepted, but they're welcomed and valued. And for everyone listening, just think of one thing about you that's different. So away from the strands of inclusion and diversity, think of one thing that's different. It could be your favourite colour, your type of music. Now, imagine at the very best you had to hide that away from most people. And then at the very worst, you were bullied by those choices. Oh, if you amplify that feeling by a million, that's how discrimination feels. And so anything to stop that from happening in your workplace, in society, anything overall, we've got to stop it from happening. It's the right thing to do. Absolutely. And, and thank you for using that as an example, because I think everyone can relate to that. And, you know, when, when you say and we multiply that and then you can really see what that may feel like. Um, yeah. Share a bit more around how diversity, inclusion and well-being are invested in, because I know that you look at this from different angles and invest in it in different ways. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of organisations, I think sometimes they don't know where to start or they worry about getting things wrong. And I know you can't see this, but I'm gesturing with inverted commas, that getting things wrong part. But there's so much practical stuff that businesses can do. And it's really not hard to get started because great businesses will take a look at where they are. It sounds simple, but it can set the tone of what needs to be done. Listen to your colleagues. What are they telling you? Look around you. Where's your female senior leaders? Where's your disabled colleagues? Where's the black colleague on your C-suite? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not about targets and certainly not about quotas, which are illegal. It's about knowing what needs to be done and setting the momentum. Because once you know the goals, you can build an action plan behind it. I think too many organisations leave this as this big, bold idea and then don't put in the small, meaningful actions behind it. Now, by meaningful actions, it could be cultural competency programmes. Educate your colleagues around what it means to be an LGBTQ plus person in the UK. And by doing so, you're creating inclusion through understanding. So it could be reviewing family policies and, you know, in doing so, you'll attract female talent and senior leaders if you get it right and therefore creating diversity through a supportive workplace. Or it could be introducing accessible software for your neurodivergent colleagues. And here you're creating inclusion through the provision of the right tools. So ultimately, the great businesses invest in diversity and inclusion by listening to their colleagues and taking a critical look at their own organisation. That in itself is going to dictate your most successful actions. And it's also going to stop you wasting precious resource. We all have very little time and money. And so throwing these metaphorical hats on the latest trend and hoping one lands on a hook and works is really not the way to go. Have a look at your own organisation and tailor your actions to what your colleagues are telling you. Super important, this tailoring actions to what people are giving to you in terms of feedback, conversation, communication. And thank you for all the all the things that people can implement within what, what that answer was. The next thing I wanted to talk to you about is something that we've both uh, read quite a bit about and seen seen a lot on LinkedIn. And I think it's something that I would really love the audience to hear about. And it's it's all about bicycle face, isn't it? And the connection <laughs> to imposter syndrome. So to anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking about, Kushbu, could you tell us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you say every time you say, anyone says bicycle face to me, immediately in my head, I've got queen blaring. So uh, I absolutely love this conversation. And thank you so much for engaging with my pieces on LinkedIn about this. So for anyone that doesn't know, I'll briefly tell you the story. In fact, I'm going to read out the first part of the post because it's fantastic. So the post goes, have you heard of bicycle face? The symptoms are usually flushed cheeks, sometimes pale face, pursed lips, shadows under the eyes, bulging eyes, exhaustion. Now, it might sound like the usual look of a tough bike ride, but in the 19th century, this was actually a syndrome caused by riding a bike, a hideous and dangerous syndrome, and a syndrome that would only impact women. So it sounds bizarre, but at the same time, the bicycle was becoming a vital conduit to advance feminism. An 1869 magazine stated, to men, bicycles was merely a new toy, another machine added to a long list of devices they knew in their work and their play. To women, it was a steed upon which they rode into a new world. Of course, bicycle-faced was a scare tactic, very quickly quashed as a syndrome, and it merely became something that happened during physical exertion for both men and women. And then my post goes on to ask why the hysteria in the first place. So 
like I've read that out and even when I'm reading it, it's just laughable because quite frankly, it was a scare tactic to stop the advancement of women. And it might be a strange post in terms of inclusion because, you know, we're talking about this over a century ago. But actually, this scare tactic rubbish still happens. <laughs> so you take imposter syndrome, for example. So did you know that when imposter syndrome was first coined as a phrase, it wasn't imposter syndrome. It was actually an imposter phenomena in the 1970s. And lo and behold, 50 years later, not only is it a syndrome, it's something that women must have, obviously. And if you didn't detect that, that obviously was sarcastic. <laughs> it's just the blame for structural inequality falls for women time and time again. And then women take this on and translate it as their own individual inadequacies, when actually it just hides the source of the issue. And the source of the issue is that structural inequality in society. And it's just preposterous because there's nothing wrong with women. It's not women's job to fix the problem that society have caused. And imposter syndrome isn't a thing. You know what? Just you reading all of that out just like gives gives me like shivers <laughs> down my spine because it's so important that we're calling this out, we're calling this in, we're just getting people to to realise like what, what are we saying when we're coining this phrase imposter syndrome and who are yeah. we aiming this at and what shackles does it put around people's ankles and who's Absolutely. now going into the workplace with one arm behind their back you know it's really really a brilliant conversation to be having and thank you for sharing that with us something else that I wanted to talk to you about is a question that I ask everybody on this podcast series and I always say let's walk the talk for inclusion and mm -hmm. I know you know as well as I do what I mean by that it's not all about the discussion it's about how we turn that into action and how we ensure that that there isn't a diversity fatigue and that people are still pressing forward, driving change and action. And it takes me to this last question I always like to ask, and that is from your point of view, what more do you want from the audience, from people around you, from the industry as a whole, so that genuine, authentic workplace inclusion becomes a reality? Yeah. Before I go into the answer of that, all this stuff about diversity and inclusion fatigue and banding around some buzz phrases, you know, or throwing a bit of unconscious bias training or, you know, something that's a buzzword that people don't truly understand. This is not a trend. Right. This is a thing. This is this is a way of doing things. Diversity and inclusion is not something that's a nice to have thing. It's a way of life. So when you look at diversity, it's a noun because it's something that you can see and look around you. When you look at inclusion, it's a verb. It's a doing thing. So when you say I've got an inclusive culture, it's great you're saying it, but you can't label it because it's a doing thing. You've got to show it. And so the answer to what I want to see more was exactly in your question, Nadia, and it's being more genuine. So less of the performative stuff. Now, of course, celebrate your achievements, but when you celebrate them, do it authentically. So when you're celebrating something in a business, the rest of your colleagues aren't looking at each other going, what? They're, they're thinking, actually, we're celebrating this because I know it happens in my workplace. It's not about ticking boxes and it's also not about being the best. Now, I come from corporate and commercial banking. I know competition and trust me, this is not a competition. There is more than enough inclusion for everybody to win. So actually, if you focus on your own lane, focus on what I said earlier, you know, look at your own organisation, listen to what your colleagues are saying. I think quite often people look for this big light bulb moment and it never comes because it's not there. The answers are right in front of them. 
just take them be genuine and actually when you're genuine you're going to see these differences come to life you're going to see that inclusive culture and you can call yourself an inclusive culture because you can feel it so it's all about being genuine and authentic with your actions amazing it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today and what a lasting impression you would have made on all of the listeners to this podcast I'm really really loving how you've explained the difference between diversity and inclusion itself I think this is super super important and something we need to remind ourselves of every day we must be doing it we must be working on it and and I really appreciate all the ways that you've shown us how we can do that so thank you for joining us on the DEI discussions podcast series oh thank you Nadia